Christchurch, New Malden. Sunday the 29th of January 2023, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, Outsiders Come to God, the Centurion at the Cross. Right, well, the series that we're in has been given this title. It's called Outsiders Come to God. And so far in this series, we've uh, largely thought about the way in which with the coming of Jesus, those previously excluded from God's people, people like Samaritans, people like Gentiles, were now able to come to God. They were now able to become part of his people. That was really the most obvious change that Jesus brought to the people of Israel. With all sorts of people, people like prostitutes, people like tax collectors, suddenly finding that they were being welcomed by Jesus, and much to their surprise, finding that they too could be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And this emphasis on God being for everyone, with a particular emphasis on the inclusion of the poor and the marginalised, that's of course got very obvious implications for the way that we do mission here at Christchurch. The whole aim of many of our groups, and here is a photograph of our grapevine Christmas meal, but the whole aim of many of our groups, not just that one, but plenty of them, is to display this truth at the centre of our faith, that Jesus is for everyone. With a particular effort being put to send that message to those who think that they are excluded from God's love, that for whatever reason they can't be included within his people. And that is central to the mission that we're called to here at Christchurch. But there's another aspect of this theme of outsiders coming to God that we also need to acknowledge. Within the Bible, reaching its climax in the coming of Jesus, we see the very strong belief that all of the mightiest powers and rulers within this world will one day bow the knee before God. They'll one day bow the knee before God and acknowledge that he is sovereign over this world. And in its New Testament form, this means those powers and authorities within the world acknowledging that Jesus and not them is Lord of the world. Now that's rather different from the theme of the poor and the marginalised suddenly finding that they have a place in God's love, isn't it? In some ways, it represents the very opposite of that. But actually, probably it would have been even more comforting to those being oppressed by overwhelming power at the time when these words were spoken to know that one day that will be reversed. But those two themes, the marginalised, the poor being included, and the mighty being brought down, of course those two themes do run together in the Bible. Think back to Christmas and think back to the Song of Mary, the Magnificat. We did have that read during our Christmas services. Mary, when she was told that she was going to be the mother of Jesus, and particularly at that point where she has that confirmed with the, uh, her cousin Elizabeth being pregnant with John the Baptist, Mary is given that insight to recognise that the coming of Jesus represents something really amazing that's going to happen to the world. It represents the status quo being turned on its head in both respects that I've spoken about. So Mary says these words. She praises God because he's brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich empty away. And we very much see the equivalent 
of those rulers on their thrones today, don't we? If I speak the words of tyranny and unrestrained power, there are plenty of people that will instantly come into our minds. Many of us at the moment will instantly think of this man coming up next, Vladimir Putin, with the invasion of Ukraine being the most obvious example of his might. Or we might think of this person, particularly if we come from Korea, we might think of Kim Jong-un in North Korea and the seemingly unchallengeable and dangerous amount of power that he seems to possess. But there are actually loads of examples closer to home. Within our own country, many worry about the amount of unaccountable power held by many groups and individuals. People worry about the media and the amount of power that they seem to possess. People worry a great deal at the moment about institutions such as the police. There are some fantastic people in the police, but there is worry that many have about some of the unaccountability and the corruption within the police force. But people equally worry about the civil service. People worry about the trade unions. People worry, yes, about the Church of England, particularly uh, myself. And the seeming impossibility of unaccountable power being challenged or changing. And against this background, we can perhaps start to see how the theme of these types of insiders or outsiders coming to God and being compelled to acknowledge that he and not them is Lord of the world is actually really very important. And it is a theme that occurs throughout the Bible. The most prominent tyrant or oppressor in the earlier parts of the Bible is the Pharaoh in the story of Moses. He enslaves the Israelites, doesn't he? He refuses to let them go, but his power is eventually defeated when the people of Israel are led safely through the Red Sea. And what happens to Pharaoh's soldiers? Well, they're swept away, causing Moses to sing a song of triumph pretty similar to that of Mary. Fast forward through the Bible, and the whole of the book of Daniel is about arrogant world empires such as Babylon, Persia, and Greece that would appear in the world and seem overwhelming, but whose power, like an enormous statue, would eventually be toppled as they were forced to acknowledge that God, and not them, is in charge of the world. And there's a very strange book bit in the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, having praised his mighty power and the glory of his majesty, is promptly reduced to being like a beast of the field. He is utterly humiliated and brought low, and then he's restored later on so that he can acknowledge that those things that he claimed for himself belong to God alone. Now, I don't think for a minute that the writer of that story is claiming that that event literally occurred, it's a story that's intended to reveal to the oppressed readers of that book that all of the empires of their day would, just like the mighty King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in that story, be eventually brought low. They'd be humbled. They would be forced to acknowledge that God, and not them, was Lord of the world. And Psalm 2 that was read to us earlier is all about this. With its references to the nations conspiring, it says about the kings of the earth taking their stand together against the Lord and against his anointed. And it's followed by this. It says, the one in heaven laughs and says to his son, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your 
possession. Now that son, of course, is revealed in the New Testament to be Jesus. And all of this is therefore a really important part of the context in which we need to read the story of Jesus contained in the Gospels. Because a great deal of that story, if we've got eyes to see it, is about how the glory and the authority and the power claimed by this man, Caesar, actually belonged to this man, Jesus, instead. Another passage, pretty familiar to us from Christmas time, is that one where we hear about Mary and Joseph having to travel to Bethlehem. They have to travel, don't they, because of the census. Now, for most of my life, I've read that verse at the start of Luke chapter 2 about Caesar Augustus issuing the decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. For most of my life, I've just read that verse as just background information. It's there by Luke to tell us sort of when this took place, and that's pretty much all there is to it. But I now read that verse totally differently particularly because just a few verses later, those angels who visit the shepherds, they take titles that were used of Caesar, titles like Saviour, titles like Lord, and they reapply them to the baby in the manger instead. Once our eyes are open to this theme, we can see how the whole message of these accounts is that while Caesar might have thought and acted as if he were Saviour, and Lord of the world, those titles and all the glory that goes with them belong to Jesus instead. And it's not just in the birth stories of Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus speaking about and demonstrating what he calls the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, it means the power or the rule of God. And it occurs everywhere where Jesus goes. As Jesus drives out evil spirits, heals the sick, feeds great crowds, everywhere Jesus goes, people experience what the world looks like when God is in charge. Jesus teaches his followers to pray that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's all one big statement that while the Romans might have thought that they and their emperor were in charge of the world, it was actually Jesus Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, was Lord of the world. And the climax of this confrontation between Jesus and Caesar is that passage from Mark's Gospel that was read to us earlier, the account of Jesus' crucifixion. You see, we have to remember that long before it was a Christian symbol, the cross was a symbol of Roman power a deliberately visual symbol, a deliberately powerful symbol, deliberately visual to show what happened to those stupid enough to challenge the power of Rome. Crucifixion, as you'll know, was a horribly prolonged public death. And the public bit was crucial. It was designed to show everyone, people for miles around, what happened to those who dared to challenge the authority of Caesar. It was designed to show everyone who very obviously was in charge, who very obviously was Lord of the world. And when Jesus died, this was emphasised by this ironic notice that was hung above his head. It was meant to be a great laugh that this person could possibly claim to be a king. 
And of course, the people there mock him. That was in the account that we heard. But what those people didn't realize was that there was a terrible irony taking place. At the very point where Caesar thought that he was most displaying his power, God was actually most displaying his. Because it was at that point that Jesus died that horrific, humiliating death that God's love won the most amazing victory over evil by breaking its power. The death of Jesus was the point where God's love, God's utter love, came face to face with the full reality of evil and defeated it once and for all, broke its power. And what happened at that point? Well, several things. But they include something crucial that we're focused on this morning. It includes that Roman centurion, almost certainly the man in charge of the execution, and the foremost representative of Caesar who was present, doing what Psalm 2 and the book of Daniel and loads of other parts of the Bible had said would one day happen, acknowledging the power and authority of God. These are the words that he says, surely this man was the son of God. And it was a foretaste of that future day when according to St Paul, every knee will bow to the Jesus who died on the cross and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The confession of that Roman centurion, the very last person who anyone would expect to say those words, signalled what the death of Jesus would bring about. That future day when all the kings and tyrants of this world would throw down their crowns before Jesus and acknowledge that he alone is Lord. So what is the application of this for us? The application is that wherever we see oppression and injustice, wherever we see unfairness and bullying, we can be totally confident that those things will not have the final word. Now, this both applies to the bigger issues happening in our world, like events in the Ukraine, or issues within our country concerning corruption in whatever form. But it also goes for those issues and events that might be more particular to us, those particular things that might be affecting us that aren't uh, well-known or aren't particularly public or covered on the news, and so on. It might be poor treatment, for instance, that we're suffering in our place of work. It might be some level of unfairness that we're experiencing locally, perhaps some sort of gossip about us, which is untrue. In all of these areas, we can be tempted to sometimes feel that those who hold power and who are abusing that power are insuperable. But the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And saying that Jesus is Lord means acknowledging as well that they are not. But our response in the meantime is crucial. You see, very often when we're being badly treated or oppressed, we can then feel justified in hitting back. We can feel justified in responding to that oppression 
in a similarly negative manner. But the Bible encourages the very opposite. The approach that the Bible encourages involves patiently waiting for that future day when everything will be put right and crucially making sure that we stay right in the meantime. Both are absolutely vital and the first leads to the second. To repeat, it's about patiently waiting for that future day when everything will be put right because God has solemnly promised that that will happen and making sure that we keep ourselves right in the meantime. Now, that involves a proper obedience to those in authority while refusing to morally compromise because we already acknowledge that Jesus is Lord alone. So if you know the stories of Daniel in the Old Testament, you'll know that alongside its visions of all those arrogant world empires one day being toppled, mainly but not exclusively in the second half of the book, it does occur in the earlier part of Daniel as well, there are 12 chapters in that book, but you'll know that alongside all those visions of that future day when God will topple those arrogant world empires, we get these little stories of Daniel and his friends. And when we look at those stories, there's a similar plot to all of them. Daniel and his friends are hardworking, and they're faithful servants of these kings, these successive rulers, while refusing to compromise their faith. Daniel and his friends keep themselves right before God ahead of that day when God will put everything right. Now, those of you who are doing the Paul course at the moment will know that Paul says something very similar to those facing Roman oppression in the first century. They're to respect the authority that the emperor has been given by God while refusing to morally compromise because of their knowledge that Jesus alone and not Caesar, therefore, is Lord. Caesar has a delegated authority, which he may well be abusing. But the early Christians are told they've got to respect those in authority as part of acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and that he is the one who will repay uh, those abusing that authority. And it is the same challenge for us the world can seem to us, both globally and locally, full of forces that are so powerful that nothing whatsoever stands a chance against them. And very often we can think we only have two choices. We can either give in to them and more or less play the same game, or we can retreat into some sort of private spirituality that blocks out the world and just makes our faith about stuff not really to do with any of those issues, just tries to retreat away from them. But neither are actually credible options. And neither are the response that we're called to. And it's all based on the fact that God has promised that one day every knee will bow to Jesus. God has promised that one day every tongue will confess that he is Christ the Lord. And the way we're to act in the meantime, the patient faith, the resolve not to return evil with evil, but to seek to return evil with love and so on, all of that draws its motivation and the confidence which we do that from being absolutely clear 
about what God will one day bring about. We are given advanced signs of this, and one of them is that these empires come and go. It's not as though the Roman Empire has lasted throughout history and it's still going. It's been succeeded by subsequent oppressive empires, including the British one. And they do come, and they do go. And that's a sign of what will ultimately take place when Jesus is proclaimed completely as Lord and every single arrogant, oppressive emperor and empire that there's been throws their crowns down before him and acknowledges that Jesus alone is Lord. And this is another really important part, a different part, of this theme of outsiders coming to God. And just as much as the wonderful inclusion of those who didn't think for a minute they had a place within God's people, it shows us that we have a God who in his Son, Jesus Christ, is putting the world right and one day will totally complete that project. And our job in the meantime is, as I say, to be so convinced of that future, to show such faith in it, that it affects the way in which we live. We continue to keep faith in him. We continue to keep ourselves right. We refuse to allow the powers that exist and how badly they're behaving, whether it's on a global or a local uh, scale, to dictate the way that we should act in response. We seek to act in a very different way because we believe that Jesus is Lord. We seek to keep ourselves right. We continue proclaiming that Jesus is Lord ahead of that final day so that we can be numbered with those rejoicing in that authority of Jesus over the world when that authority has become fully and finally established. Let's turn for a few moments to prayer. And perhaps we can think of a particular aspect of the status quo in this world at the moment that makes us particularly unhappy or perplexed. It might be an aspect of the international situation. It might be something closer to home. It may well be something within our own life. It probably is. All of us here will have an aspect of our life where power is being exercised in a way that we feel is oppressive and wrong and unjust. Let's hold that before God now. Heavenly Father, we pray that the message that every knee will bow to your Son Jesus and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We pray that we would believe in that so strongly that it would give us the will to persevere in waiting patiently for that day and keeping ourselves right in the meantime. We pray that you would help us to always respond to evil with love and to demonstrate that we belong to you, that we follow the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would give us the perseverance, the will, the faith through your Holy Spirit to do this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.